Why is it often so weird to talk about sex and still such a taboo topic? What does conscious intimacy actually look like? And how can we have conversations with partners about sex, you know, and maybe spice things up? Big questions that we're deep diving into today with Erin Chen, sex and relationship counselor and founder of Asia's first sexual wellness festival, Spark, and Get Gilly, an app for couples to connect, play, and love. It's time to live wide awake. Hey, it's Steph Dixon, and welcome to the Live Wide Awake podcast. This is a podcast about climate change and consciousness, sustainability, and spirituality. Each week, a special concoction for your listening pleasure so that you can lead your most conscious life. We're going to be talking about fascinating yet sometimes complicated topics and breaking them down into digestible chunks so that we can live wide awake. If you haven't already, do hit that subscribe button. And if you love what you're hearing, consider supporting us on Patreon. Erin and I met in Singapore and connected instantly. I've always admired her deeply for her ability to normalize conversations about sex and intimacy in a way that removes all the awkwardness, skeeziness, and weirdness, and instead is inviting, safe, intriguing, and a little playful. Erin Chen is an advocate for the inclusion of sexual wellness as a part of everyday healthy living. She holds a master in sexual health counseling and helps people to discover and confidently explore intimacy and pleasure. Her career in sexual wellness began with founding a company called Leela Sutra, which ran fun sexual education workshops and sold products. And Spark, Asia's first sexual wellness festival to advance conversations on intimacy, sexual health, and gender. Now she's launching an app called Gilly that delivers daily playful treats to help partners connect, play, and love. In this podcast episode, we talk about common questions and misconceptions about sex and female orgasms, how to create a safe space to discuss and explore, and why sexual wellness is an important part of overall well-being. Just a little note, we wanted to let you know that while during this conversation we may use the words man and woman, we recognize that not everyone is binary when it comes to gender. We tried to be as inclusive as possible, so if something we said resonated with you but the pronouns didn't sit well, just take the parts that felt empowering for you because in the end, sexuality is more diverse than we think. Erin, yay! I'm so excited to be having this conversation with you and it's so nice to see you after so long. So I'd love for you to share with everyone a little bit about your backstory and how you ended up working in this space. Well, I went to business school and when I came out, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I went into consulting like most people who went to business school. And I did that for about 10 years. And when I was turning 30, I had, I guess, a late quarter life crisis (laughs) and, you know, did a lot of like personal development and soul searching. And just like, I really wanted to live life with meaning And when it came to work, I wanted to do something that I was passionate about, that I basically felt like I was playing every day. So I asked myself, you know, what was it that made me feel that way, where I I just felt like I was playing? And there were two things. One was travel. And one day when I was drinking by myself, (laughs) you know, the words popped up like sex. And you know, it took me off guard, but it made a lot of sense because growing up, I was always that friend amongst my friends. 
like the one who would, you know, just read about human sexuality and all the things related to that and anything interesting, I would be sharing that with my friends and any school project where we had, you know, where we were kind of given creative free reign, I would somehow work in sex ed. And human sexual psychology, human sexuality was my favorite course in university. It just, it just clicked for me. And when I started looking into the space and what careers were available, I realized like there was a lot that could be done in this space. And so, yes, yeah, so that's, that's kind of how I got the inspiration to enter it. Yeah, thank you. And so when you entered it, you started with a company called Lila Sutra, and then it evolved and you end up becoming a sex therapist, sex and relationship therapist. So maybe you can like unpack that little part of the journey as well. And now, you know, touch on where you're at. Sure. So when I first started, I didn't think I wanted to be a sex therapist. That was kind of the one career path. And at that time I thought, okay, I don't know. I don't know if I want to go back to school yet. And so I came across this company in the UK, which did home parties, like Tupperware style parties, selling toys. And I thought that was a really interesting concept. And we didn't really have anything like that in Singapore or Asia. So that's where Leela Sutra was birthed. So I started literally just like got a bunch of toys, threw it into a suitcase and started doing these workshops for first friends and then kind of through word of mouth, different people for you and your friends also, Steph, <laughs> that's how we met. And those are really fun. And actually, you know, it, it, the part that I loved the best was the sex ed part. And it actually turned out well, because that taught me a lot about the kind of questions people had, the conversations people were having around sex, how to approach this topic in a way that felt safe for people. And through these workshops, people started asking me if they could have private sessions with me to, you know, go into topics more deeply. And I realized, okay, I'm kind of at the limits of what I know. And I really enjoyed, you know, teaching and kind of seeing those light bulbs go off. And I wanted to help people more. So then I went back to school, became a sex relationship therapist. And that was also really meaningful. Then I had a baby. (laughs) So I went on mat leave. And before I went on mat leave, I couldn't really keep, you know, serving my clients and having private sessions with a newborn. And so I referred out all my clients. And so when I came back from mat leave, the question was, do I restart and rebuild my private practice? Also, we had moved cities in between that you know, in a completely foreign country, or do I do something else? And I think through my journey, through Lila Sutra, through, you know, having private clients, and also through Spark, um, the festival that we created in Singapore, I could see that I was passionate about changing the larger conversations around sexual wellness. And also that, you know, unfortunately, therapy was still stigmatized. You know, on average, it takes about six years for a couple to even like seek external support. And by then, you know, what could have been more preventable is now like a crisis. And so I wanted to do something that could help more people earlier. So that's where the idea of Gilly came from. 
Yes. And we're going to unpack a lot more of that as we go in our conversation. But I guess I wanted to ask when you sort of told people or your parents that you were switching industries and you were going now into sexual wellness or people close to you, what were their reactions? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Just, my parents are Taiwanese. I'm Taiwanese Canadian. And so they're actually pretty progressive compared to others of their generation. But still, yeah, when it came to this topic, it was a shock. And remember, I wasn't like, hey, I'm, initially it wasn't, I'm going to become a sex therapist, which may have been more acceptable. It was like, hey, I'm selling sex toys <laughs> in these private home workshops, <laughs> you know? So yeah, they were very, A, very confused. And they just thought like I was throwing my life away. And, you know, my father, and it was like almost every day for a year, they would call me and try to talk me out of it. And my dad, you know, I remember he was like, you know, this is what the mafia is involved in. <laughs> like, I'm not not trafficking women, dad. <laughs> you know, the sex trade. But yeah, so he was very against it. And because they cared about me. So, but, you know, I just kept sharing about why I was doing it, why it was needed. And, you know, every time I had a workshop, I would tell them about it and tell them about the conversations that I was having with women and couples. And then eventually one day we were out having um, tea and, you know, I started, I brought up a workshop again and I was talking about it and my dad just didn't say anything, got up and left the table for a smoke. You know, he just removed himself from the conversation and I'm talking, I'm talking. And then my mom turns to me and she's like, you know, your father and I, we keep buying this toy and it keeps breaking. <laughs> And, you know, I didn't know what they were doing in the bedroom. <laughs> but yeah, and then my sister turned to me and, and she was like, Erin, like, if this is a thing for mom, it's a thing for everyone. <laughs> so that was kind of a major turning point in that journey of kind of winning my parents over. And I think then they started eventually seeing why it was needed and how the conversation had been so taboo. So yeah, that was that was interesting. And they're lovely now. And we talk about we're, you know, but subsequently I remember I wanted to go, I always wanted to visit different toy shops wherever, you know, I'm traveling to. And in Taipei, I wanted to go visit one because, you know, it's kind of like cultural research. And um, so I asked my dad, because now I know they use toys. I'm like, hey, where do you buy your toys? I want to go look. And he was like, oh, I'll take you. I'm like, no, it's it's okay. I'll I'll just go on my own he's like no no no. I'll uh, I'll take you <laughs> like all right so we're getting ready to go my mom's like where are you going I'm like we're going to a toy shop she's like I'll come <laughs> so turn into like a family field trip <laughs> you know and we're in there usually I like to just look at their products kind of see what they have and then talk to the store people and you know the corner of my eye I see my mom like you know, tell me about this and like, you know, trying to research with me. It's just like, okay. it was very cool. Now they're very supportive and they came to Spark, you know, so, so yeah, it was, bless them. <laughs> 
So sweet. I love it. Family outing. <laughs> family outings. Yeah. Family field trip to the local toy shop. <laughs> mm. No, I love it. That's, it was so cute. But so I think, yeah, I'd love to tap in now to what you kind of raised there as well with society in general, getting weird about talking about sex and that it's really something that is often still very taboo and shameful and shunned and just loaded with labels. So why do you think it's, it's like that? You know, what's the kind of bit of history, I guess maybe is the right way to look at it or reason why we're still sort of facing the fact that it is like this. Oh boy. This could be like a whole podcast on its own. (laughs) It's like the history of patriarchy and misogyny and religion and, 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 and. So I think briefly religion likely has to do with a big part of it. And yeah, I mean, if we look back in history, like the patriarchy, property, women were kind of more property back then. People wanted to make sure they knew you know, that their kids were theirs because then you know, you know, how to pass property on within a family. So virginity became very important. It's also about control. Like if you can control, it's, it is, yeah, sex is also a, a form of control. So yeah, I don't really know where to start with this one because it's just, there's so many layers. I think more contemporarily religion plays a big part of it. And also, yeah, just because of religion, then there's a lot of opposition to, you know, the kind of education we provide um, for, you know, as part of school. And so when we don't provide education that helps people understand like how even fundamentally how the body works, let alone like how to have these conversations or relationships or feelings. There are also feelings involved in sexuality. Then there's this vacuum. And when there's a vacuum, then all the other, then all the other shit pours in, you know, (laughs) from the media, from porn, even Disney movies set very unrealistic expectations around romance, first time experiences and things like that. So I think all of those components added together kind of just creates this really weird world of sex. Yeah. And it's one of those experiences that is just so like extreme, you know, it's, it's like sex can feel really, really, really good. So it's like one of those, I don't want to compare it as a vice, but it's almost like, it's like a very big experience. And so for some people that feels overwhelming that feels really powerful yeah (laughs) but yeah it's a very big um big question like why (laughs) but do you think so now in more contemporary times what are you kind of seeing in terms of the evolution of sex and and conversations around it and how people sort of interact with it these days I think we're on a positive trend in that it's becoming more and more open having these type of conversations. And I think a lot of it, you know, it's the sex positive sexual wellness movement. It doesn't happen alone. And so, you know, 
with the Me Too movement, with the feminist movement, and like, you know, we were talking about how sex is about control, right? So as women, you know, become more empowered, we have more agency. Part of that also involves having agency over our own bodies and what we want to experience and how we want to experience and what we want to feel, what we discover about ourselves. And part of that is includes sexuality. And so, you know, as women have more of a voice, then the conversation around sex also changes. So I think that's a big part of it. Um, and to have those conversations, then you you need to change the narrative. You need to, you know, find ways to make, you know, these narratives more mainstream. And so I think there are, yeah, there are, you know, new startups, new brands who are making those inroads. Policies are being changed. Um, the UN, I think a few years ago, you know, updated their guidance on comprehensive sexual education for the youth. And so I think in general, we're on a positive trend. And I think with millennials and with Gen Z, yeah, we're just, we are more open-minded and that's just how it works generation after generation. And yeah, people are questioning things more, you know, with climate change. I think for the older generation, maybe the whole gender topic, kind of a mindfuck. But for, you know, the 19-year-old, depending on where they are, gender is just like, yeah, okay, they're different genders. Like, it's not even a thing for them, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which is really nice to see. So, yeah, I think we're on a positive trend. There's still a lot of work to be done. Yeah, because it's not easy to unlearn what we grew up with. But yeah, I think on the whole, the society is, um, there are more conversations now. Which I think is is really important, you know, that there are actually more conversations about this and that people are talking about different subjects and finding places where people like you who, you know, really advocate for a positive sexual wellness experience and like more positivity within the movement. So I think all of that is is really important. So I'd love to understand, you know, what are some of the questions that people always ask you or any misconceptions that come up time and time again when you're over the years that you've been having these conversations and helping people through all the work that you do? Orgasms come up a lot. It's still kind of like this enshrined goal <laughs> that people want. And I think porn, like there's a lot of stuff that sets our expectations about around how sex should look. One of the most common questions I get from heterosexual cis women um, <clears throat> is how do I have an orgasm during sex? And usually they mean penetrative sex. If there's one fact that people can remember from our conversation, it's that close to 75% of women need clitoral stimulation to have an orgasm. If that's a lot of women. That means most women need clitoral stimulation. And so when you're expecting yourself to have an orgasm through penetration alone, it's almost like you're kind of, you're up against those odds. <laughs> so, and it's not that you are broken, like that's just how anatomy works. <laughs> and unless 
you know, your partner's penis is like curved in a really interesting way <laughs> or you figure out some like amazing aerobatics. That's just like, you know, so that's one fact. If, if you know, listeners or people listening can remember women and men, it's that. Yeah, because, you know, when, when women ask me that question and we dig a bit deeper, it's usually because there's this expectation and where does expectation come from? you know, movies, porn, their partners, because that's what they're seeing. And that's kind of like put on a pedestal as like the ultimate sexual achievement, but it's just not realistic. And, you know, just remember that and don't beat yourself up over it. <laughs> and if you can, you know, and I also know people who can through penetration alone have an orgasm. Great. You know, and, and our bodies change and you know, life has been many seasons. And so it's a journey, but regardless of where you are, you're normal and, you know, just do what feels good. Are there any other common questions or other misconceptions or that's the main one? That is the main one. That is the top one. The other one I think is around discrepancy of desire like my partner wants more sex than I do you know or just I like sex drives are different what do we do about that and that's a more you know complex topic to dig into because there's so many elements that could influence that one thing I think people come into this situation they have this expectation that you know, desire and getting aroused and sex drive. It's kind of like, it just turns on just like that spontaneous, you know, because the way we remember it is kind of from like when we were younger and you just, you remember just like getting horny. <laughs> and so as we get older, it's like, why am I not just like getting horny, you know? And then, and then we think something's wrong. And then we think, oh, it must be me or my partner or a relationship, or I'm just, I'm losing my libido. But we have to remember, like, there's so many ingredients that go into cultivating that horniness. <laughs> Stress level is one, just your general, like, you know, how tired you are, how much energy you have, how you're feeling with your partner. And so I often ask, I'm like, if you look back to your early 20s, like, how much stress did you have? Like probably not much. <laughs> like you had the perfect environment to just like get horny, <laughs> you know? But as life goes on, like a lot of those elements come in. And so that's one. And the other one is a lot of people don't know that there are actually different types of desire. And so spontaneous desire where it's just like without much stimulus, you know, you can just feel sexual desire that happens for about 75% of men and like 15% of women. That's just like, again, go, you know, going back to understanding how kind of the different types of people work. Like if you are not in that 15% and you don't experience desire that way, you're also normal. And it's just, we've been primed to think that's how sex drive works. So the other type of kind of sexual desire is what we call like responsive, where you do need some stimulus 
to kind of start to get into that mindset, start to feel sexual desire come. And the best analogy I've heard around this is kind of like, you know, getting ready to go to the party. You might not feel like going to the party right away, but you know, your friends are there. So like you're going to go through, you're going to put on your party pants and get ready and still might not feel like it, but then you know, you get in your Uber, you get there and you see your friends and the vibe feels good. And then suddenly you're kind of like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to have, I'm feeling good. I'm going to have a good night, you know, and then you get into the mood. So it's kind of like that, but that assumes the party is good. Right. (laughs) And you like the people there. (laughs) So yeah, that's kind of what responsive desire is. And most women, you know, about 30% of women is purely responsive and then the rest are kind of like a mix. Um, of of the two so yeah I think those are two things if two main things that if people can remember kind of dispels the challenges some of the expectations that we've kind of learned to have around how sex should look this is turning into like a sex ed podcast Yes, exactly. No, that's bringing out your knowledge and amazing skills. I love it. (laughs) Okay, so for those that want to explore a little bit more in the bedroom or want to actually even have conversations with their partners or lovers in a non-awkward way or really want to create a safe space to be able to talk about their needs and wants, how do you recommend people go about doing that? Yeah, this one is um, if you kind of never talked about sex, it would feel very vulnerable and especially with your partner because you know when you start talking about it then you go into what feels good what doesn't feel good and there's always that fear of hurting you know your partner's feelings so I think to create that space you know I would suggest first having a genuine conversation with your partner around Um, why you're both interested in having a conversation around sex or conversations around sex or why you want to start talking about it more. So to set the intention to, you know, and to see that you're both kind of on this, on the same team here (laughs) and why it's important for you. And I want to say before even having that conversation, if that even feels too intimidating, starting with even simple things like sharing an article here or there, Uh, It's a good way to start because it kind of, you know, if your partner reacts in a way that you don't, you didn't anticipate, it kind of gives you an out. I just, I just thought it would be interesting for you to see, (laughs) you know, it's a good way. It's an easy way to test the waters and kind of open that conversation. And you have something kind of something almost like a, something objective or something external to the relationship that you can discuss. Then when you're ready to kind of, have a more direct conversation about it, then I would suggest first talking about why it's important for the two of you um, and kind of set your intention. And there's actually no non-awkward way (laughs) just to manage people's expectations. Like it's gonna be uncomfortable and awkward and that's normal and that's to be expected and it just takes practice and it just takes you know it's like a muscle so yeah so if it feels awkward don't stop that's just part of the journey yeah and then oh and I would say also share your fears so what are you 
scared about from being vulnerable. And, you know, a lot of it is, I don't want to hurt your feelings. So then as once you air those out, then you can talk about like how you might navigate the things that you're, you're nervous about, um, or you might think I'm a freak or something. I would talk about that stuff first before diving into the actual sex part. Um, cause then you've kind of created that space um, that's conducive to that sharing. Then, yeah, then there, there are tools out there. There are, for example, sexual bucket lists that couples can look into as a way to explore the things they want to try without, um, yeah, basically how it works is you go through this bucket list and you each individually tick off, you know, yes, I want to try this. No, not now, or maybe. And then you start to compare and you see where you overlap. That's a fun way to kind of guide some exploratory experiences. But yeah, that's that's kind of what I would suggest. Start with some articles, dip your toes in, test the waters, have that conversation or conversations, set your intention, share what you, your fears are, what you're nervous about, and then go from there. Yeah, thank you. That's great. And I I did that bucket list actually without even realizing it was a thing to like explore, but it was like an Excel document and it was great. It was very helpful. That's great. <laughs> um, and so you kind of touched a little bit about that's a great idea, I think, for people who are in long-term relationships to kind of explore in a safe, sort of more fun way together. But how else do you think people can bring more spice into their relationships? But also I think, you know, it's been a really challenging year with the pandemic and so many people finding themselves in different situations at home or playing different roles with the family and having kids around all the time as well, or not even if they don't even have kids, it's still, you know, a different situation. So there's the spiciness, but also like how people are handling this new world that we're living in. Yeah. So I'll address the spiciness first. So we have to remember sex is, sex doesn't exist in a vacuum. It's kind of like, you know, it's interrelated to basically our daily life life and so actually what's interesting is with you know one of our advisors for Gilly she uh, has a PhD in basically sexology and she her whole research and thesis and ongoing research is around like intimacy and couples and relationships and one of the things that they found was you know there are different elements that contribute to intimacy and, you know, they have to do with how you're feeling with yourself, um, your sense of autonomy, you know, are you, do you feel kind of free to be yourself, to do the things that make you feel like yourself? And this is where I think a lot of parents suffer after they have kids in terms of the self. And then the other part is in terms of the relationship, do you, you know, is there a foundation for trust, for friendship? Do you feel understood by your partner? Do you have a shared sense of privacy, for example? And then the interesting external parts are, of course, stress. Stress is really a big killer, which we've talked about earlier. And then an interesting part is like newness, innovation. So we often interpret that as like new things to try in the bedroom. But actually, it's like anything new in your routine, in your life, in your shared life could add spice to the bedroom. 
So it could be, you know, a new activity that you try together, a new restaurant, a new song that you heard and, you know, you danced to in the living room. Anything new that kind of shakes up the, the daily routine, you know, especially something new that you've discovered together could add that jolt that leads to, you know, a, a, a sudden spike in, in passion. So I just thought that was always really interesting to remember um, because, you know, in the magazines, it's always like new sex positions to try. <laughs> but yeah, if it's, if we look at it um, more holistically, I would say, you know, especially for parents where things are just so routine or for long-term couples, right? You fall into this, you know, Fridays we do this and Saturdays we do this and Sundays we do this. I would say try shaking both up uh, and see what happens. Then on the pandemic side, yeah, it's been stressful for everyone. Like, I don't, yeah. <laughs> it's just, oh, pandemic. <laughs> so tired of talking about it. But yeah, it's been really stressful. And for parents also, um, especially those who've had to homeschool their kids or just, you know, care for their kids more. So, I mean, life has many seasons, right? And so sometimes we just work with the ingredients we have and the tools we have. And I would say, you know, this is for parents, especially this is, if you don't have the energy to spice things up, that's okay. <laughs> it's okay to just survive right now. You know, there are small things that people can do. So touch is really helpful to reduce stress. One exercise or one treat um, from Gilly that, you know, couples really enjoy doing is something so simple. And it's really just like in the middle of the day, this is assuming you're working from home, but, you know, anytime you're kind of in the house together, just stop what you're doing you know, if you have kids, go hide in the bathroom, set the timer for one to two minutes and just hug. <laughs> it sounds so mundane or trivial, but, you know, it feels really good to just like lean into your partner and just hug and just be present with each other for, you know, 120 seconds. Even that, like something small, um, could feel really good and to help you feel connected some of the couples like nickname it vitamin h <laughs> just gives them like a little boost um yeah so uh, just small things and remember to take time for yourself even something as simple as like going to the car if you have a car and blasting music just just to you know give yourself like a little bit of space yeah, I would say during the pandemic, it's all about the small things. Forget about the big things. Just do the small things. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love that. Vitamin H. I'm definitely going to be making Jan hug me more. <laughs> no. Be like, Aaron told me, Jan, we have to hug more. <laughs> like, it's coming from a professional, okay? <laughs> touch, touch is healing. It touches, it really you know. Touch is magical. <laughs> yeah. So I think, you know, what's really interesting is looking at sexuality and sexual encounters as something that 
needs to be incorporated as wellness. And I think kind of putting this spin on having it as sort of conscious intimacy and something that's part of our well-being practice is really, it seems really important. So I guess I'd like to understand from your perspective, how do you think that that plays a role in our lives and, you know, how important is to have that, that well-being aspect with sex? Sexuality, it's part of being human. <laughs> you know, it's, it, we talk about like sexual acts a lot, like orgasm, having sex, you know, but that's just one part of it. A lot of it has to do with how we feel in our own bodies, how we, you know, experience the feelings that come up, like sexual feelings, how attractive we feel towards others. All of that is wrapped in our sexuality and our sexual wellness, how we express that, how confident we feel about that. <laughs> and so, yeah, and it's a part where I think, you know, we've talked about this like education. It's not something where we, we've really spent a lot of time or given a lot of permission for people to explore. And so people sometimes struggle with, is it normal that I have these feelings or is it normal that I like this? Is it normal that I feel a, a pull towards that sexual experience? But we don't have those questions when it comes to other fundamentals of being human, like food. <laughs> and I often make this parallel, right? you know, we know what we like to eat and we know what we want to try. And we know, you know, we have no problem like expressing ourselves, trying new things. But with sex, it's just, it's not. And it's equally fundamental to the human experience, you know, with ourselves and with other people. So yeah, it's very much part of wellness, I would say. And conscious intimacy, conscious sexuality. I mean, being conscious, what does that mean? It means being aware, being awake, right? It's the title of your podcast, Being Awake. <laughs> so yeah, it's, you know, another way to look at it is like a lot of us, a lot of people are asleep <laughs> about this part of that human experience just because we never learned about it. We never explored. We never had that space to explore. So yeah, being conscious, you know, even just like the baby steps is just starting to become aware of, okay, uh, where did these expectations that I have towards my body, towards how I should be sexually, towards what I want sexually, where did they come from, you know? And it's, it, those are not bad things. I don't, it's not like I'm saying, you know, once you figure that out, like throw all that out. It's not bad, it's just, just to observe and then see, you know, is this really serving me? Is this helping me empower you know, my journey in sexuality and give yourself permission to slowly wake up, <laughs> slowly explore. So I, I think, you know, in a most simplistic form, conscious intimacy, conscious sexuality is just the, the, the journey we take to become more and more present and aware to our needs, how we're feeling and kind of all those things in that area of, of sexuality. And how important do you think self-love or even self-exploration is for someone's sexual journey and even tapping more into their sexual wellness? Very important. <laughs> so, so when you say self-love, is that like a, 
Do you mean like masturbation? Yeah, in this context, I think so, you know, but also I guess it it brings in confidence, right? I mean, to have self-love means you have more confidence with your body and what you want. And then also with the exploration side or like self-exploration, you can figure out what you like and what you don't like. And I think that that seems like it's a really important part of the journey, but I think because there's so much taboo still around sex and even enjoyment and, and, you know, even self-exploration, I think a lot of people would probably still struggle with that maybe, but then I don't know if I'm just guessing. No, that was beautiful. What you just said, (laughs) I would say, yes, all of that, all of the things that you just described is helpful and is important. And Sometimes I hesitate to say, yes, this is important or it's not because, you know, I don't, I don't want to be yet another noise to people and pressure for people who feel like, okay, now I should masturbate or I should do this because really like it's your body, you know, it's your experience. And I really believe that everyone is the expert of themselves and their body and their sexuality and their experiences with that preface, <laughs> I would say, yeah, it's, it's sex. I mean, self-exploration, self-love, these are all really helpful elements. Um, and, you know, yeah, besides that confidence and exploring how you're feeling, what you like, masturbation is a part of it. And it is one area where a lot of people still feel awkward about or weird about depending on you know where you grew up or what religion you know you you're in or you grew up with and this applies to women and, and men too you know for women it masturbation or even just the act you know masturbation aside just the act of like putting a mirror down there and having a look at yourself that could be a very interesting experience for a lot of women who maybe have never even had a look you know, and so I would say like, that's the first step of self-love or self-exploration for, for women that I would suggest just to have a look and make friends with your vulva. And for men, you know, when it comes to self-love, self-exploration, I would really encourage going beyond the penis and explore other things, you know, explore um, how it feels to touch other parts of the body pull your own hair, see if you like that, (laughs) you know, play with your nipples, see what kind of simulation you like. Is it flat palmed, you know, hard pressure? Is it kind of pinchy? Um, You know, there's so much that can be explored that isn't shown in like mainstream porn or, you know, the, the kind of reference points that we have. So yeah, it's, it could be really fun. And I would say I would, I would encourage it. I would encourage people to self-explore. Thank you. So maybe you can share a little bit about Get Gilly and, you know, how it sort of evolved, what you're working on, but also maybe some of the little exercises, maybe a few exercises for anyone listening that wants to sort of give it a go. As I said, you know, when I came back from mat leave, I decided I was going to take a different direction and work on something that was, that could be more preventative than, or that could then complement therapy later on. And I didn't really know what um, 
that meant or what kind of a, an idea or concept or business w- would come about. Um, so I went through an accelerator and did a lot of customer research and just interviewed a lot of people, which was very interesting in itself. And when I first started, I had asked people, you know, are you sexually satisfied on a scale of one to five? Don't pick a three. And they would say two or four, whatever they would say. And then, you know, we would talk about that. And I would ask, okay, so what would it take to move you up a dial from two to four or four to five or whatever? And then they would talk. And then I asked, how motivated are you to move things up a dial? You know, and this is where it became really interesting because I interviewed single people, people in relationship, long-term relationship, just dating, long-distance relationships, people with kids, people without kids, same-sex, you know, heterosexual couples and different age groups. And it was very mixed. Not everyone, surprisingly, are motivated (laughs) to improve their sexual satisfaction because some people are busy, you know, it's good enough. But the one group that always was like, I'm very motivated, four or five, were parents. (laughs) And, you know, if you're a parent, then you're probably like nodding your head right now. And So, yeah. And so that's where I decided, you know, well, I want to help everyone. And I think, you know, everyone can benefit from from this. Uh, I had to start some Gilly. I decided to start with couples with kids. Um, So that's how Gilly was birthed. And the concept is, you know, because parents are very, very busy. And, you know, our lives are really run by the schedules of our, our children. Um, and so it's very difficult and challenging for parents to find the time, find the energy to prioritize their relationship and their intimacy, let alone like, you know, the clusterfuck that is introduced by kids when they enter your life. And so the concept is, you know, very bite-sized kind of exercises and insights that are designed to create those moments of connection for parents in real life in a way that feels manageable and is easy for them. Kind of like mindfulness, right? A little bit every day, you know, kind of it, it builds up and it does work. So so that's what Gilly is. And yeah, so we've had over a hundred 170 users go through where we're still in the beta phase. So, you know, we're still building the product and learning lots and getting lots of feedback from parents. And we hope to launch something this year. Super exciting. Well, Erin, this has been so lovely. So maybe we can just end off with you sharing how you think that people can live wide awake and I guess bringing that into the sexual wellness field. This whole pandemic thing, it's been like, you know, I feel like Groundhog Day. Like today feels the same as February of last year. So, and so for me, living wide awake is really just being aware of the pressures I'm putting on myself. And I think parents do this a lot and not succumbing to the I don't want to say negative. Yeah, it's like kind of all this inside noise that we have in our head, you know, that it gets created from all of that. So I think 
while I would love to strive for something more aspirational when it comes to living wide awake, <laughs> I think I would just, for me personally, my, my mantra is just like to be aware of the pressures and yeah, the noise in my head and just, you know, in each moment, giving myself some breathing space. And that for me right now in the middle of a pandemic <laughs> is, is good enough living awake. <laughs> I don't know if that sounds too depressing <laughs> for people, but that's, you know, I don't have any like Brene Brown living awake quotes right now. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, you know, being kind to myself. <laughs> Super important. It's super important. Well, thank you so much, Erin, for sharing and for joining us. That was really insightful. Thank you. It was it was really nice to to be here and thank you for thinking of me. And it's always great to talk to you, Steph. things I'm taking away from this conversation with Aaron. Firstly, regardless of where you're at, it's okay and it's normal. If we can normalize sexual wellness, it's something that is actually also good for our mental well-being. Secondly, self-love is an important part of sexual wellness too. Have a look and make friends with all parts of yourself. Explore your body and discover what you like. And finally, touch is very healing and great for stress reduction. Where possible, increase your vitamin H. I love this idea. Hug for one to two minutes extra a day with your loved ones. I hope that today's conversation stirred something deep within you ready to awaken. If you enjoyed today's episode, do hit that subscribe button and consider supporting us. Until next time, live wide awake. <laughs>